This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio. I am Jay White, and we appreciate you listening on uh, this Thursday morning. Uh, Rick Cleveland in the studio with us, Mississippi Sports Hall of Famer, longtime columnist here in the state of Mississippi. How are you? I'm doing fine. How about you? I'm doing great. It's good to have you in studio. Good to be good again. To, good to be here. Absolutely. Um, it's it's interesting to talk to you about being a Mississippi Sports Hall of Famer. You are one of the people who is um, key in having the museum more than just having a Hall of Fame, quote unquote. There's actually a museum where these people can be, uh, you know, seen and their memories relived and in, 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 uh, honored properly. Tell us about how that that kind of came to be. Well, I, I was. You know, I I had my small part. I was one of many who who kept it, who who got it going. I, I wrote a column. I was supposed to one one day. I was supposed to go out to the state basketball tournament to uh, do a column from it. And I was as I was walking around the concourse on the first floor of the Coliseum, I saw the Hall of Fame plaques, mm-hmm. uh, which is the only way the Hall of Famers were recognized. Yeah. And they were, you know, they were dusty and they were they were scratched and uh, the sun had bleached some of them. And uh, it just seemed like a terrible way for our sports uh, legends to be to be honored and um so instead of writing about the basketball that day i wrote about the need for a uh, a museum or some place that we could honor what is one of our state's greatest legacies yeah. i mean this is something we really do well in mississippi we do sports extremely well we got some of the greatest international internationally recognized athletes on the planet and uh i thought we needed to do a better job of it and the idea kind of took hold, and then Jim Buck Ross got involved. And uh, to be honest, perfectly honest with you, Jim Buck Ross is who got it done. Yeah. Uh, he he was a political miracle, and he got it done. Rick Cleveland is our guest uh, here on MPB's Season Pass. We appreciate you listening on this uh, Thursday morning. You started, um, uh, for those who don't know, a lot of people do, your dad, a uh, uh, long-time um, I, they call them sports information directors now. I don't know what they called them back then. There were many, many more hats uh, involved. He started out as a – well, actually, he started out as a sports writer. He was a sports editor in Jackson and then up here – I mean, in Hattiesburg and then in Jackson. And then he went back to USM as the uh, – public relations director for the entire university and when it came that they were going to split the job into a uh, sports and university media relations he chose sports so he became the sports information director that's kind of where you grew up in the stadium at at times right i grew up in uh they were also to make ends meet were the proctors of uh the old rock uh which was the east stadium the dormitory under the east side of the stadium and from the time I was four until the time I was 
seven. That's that's where I lived. Was in the my backyard was the football field. My front yard was the uh, sports arena. My, to the uh, north was the uh, baseball field. That just now the football intramural field and but you know uh caddy corner was the swimming pool so it would you know other than not having air condition in a 1,000 square foot apartment and with two hellions uh my (laughs) brother and i three counting my daddy uh uh it was a great way to grow up so uh you you wrote for the hattiesburg american at first seems like a i started there when i was 13 years old started covering high school football games for the hattiesburg american still remember Still remember the score. The first game I covered, and I, I, you know, I can't even remember my phone number most of the time. Uh, <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, I, I started, I, I, you know, I was a little bitty guy. I didn't, I didn't grow until after I got out of high school, so I knew I wasn't going to be able to – I wasn't going to make the major leagues. So uh, I saw all the people that came to our house uh, after ball games – uh, the sports writers and sports editors, and they sure seem to really enjoy their jobs. Yeah. And uh, uh, long story short, as I told Dad when I was 13, that's what I wanted to do. And he said, man, he, he said, son, if you're smart enough and, <laughs> uh, and uh, well, if you're intelligent enough to do this and do it well, you can make so much more money doing something else. And uh he was absolutely right, by the way. Right. Uh, but but I have no regrets. Uh, I've, I've, I've enjoyed doing what I've done for over 50 years now. Uh, when did you uh, make the decision to uh, uh, that you were going to leave the Hattiesburg American and come up to uh, Jackson? Actually, I went from the Hattiesburg, I went over to Monroe, Louisiana for okay. one year. I went there and was a sports editor over two papers, the Morning World and the News Star, which have since, as they have been every other place in, on the planet, been combined into one paper. But th- at the time I was there, it was two papers. And uh, so I was in Monroe for one year, and then Tom Patterson, who was a really great, innovative sports editor here in Jackson, uh, I was at a, a national sports editors meeting in Minneapolis, and he was there, and he had two openings and said he sure would like to bring me back to Mississippi. And I, I said, well, I sure would like to come. Yeah. And, and it worked out. So there was the the Daily News and the Ledger The Clarion in Jackson. Ledger and Jackson Daily News. And how you went to the Ledger, right? Went to the Ledger as the Mississippi State beat writer and, uh, and then did two years of that. Then two years as the Ole Miss beat writer. Uh, then I became the assistant sports editor and columnist, and then I became then I became the sports editor of the Jackson Daily News, and killed it off. <laughs> and, and then, and then uh, when they combined the two papers, the uh, they asked me to be the sports editor of the Clarion Ledger, which I did uh, uh, for several years. And then uh, then I I decided I wanted to write write exclusively and not direct a whole bunch of other people and uh so i became the sports columnist and i all totaled i was at the clarion ledger and daily news for 30 33 years what was the merger like of the daily news and the ledger they're the sports departments well it was 
Jay, we had, I mean, I think they have seven people now. We had 27. We had 27 people. We had like uh, 50, that's not including photographers. We had sports photographers then. But we had, uh, I think on the on the Claire and Ledger, I had 14 people on the staff. And on the Daily News, I had 11 or 12. And then I made and then I think I made 27, yeah. uh, not including part-timers, in which we had lots of them. Yeah. Uh, but the, it was kind of, uh, you know, the meshing of the two staffs, there was, a lot of, there was a lot of heartache involved in that because you had to tell some people that, that wanted, a, wanted a job that they weren't going to have that job, that they had to do something else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, so how has... How has being a media member changed? <laughs> and that's a that's a very on the surface question. Yeah. Uh, but um, I would say, let's say, take a beat writer for example. You, you covered Southern Miss down in Hattiesburg. I, I know, but having been a state and Ole Miss beat writer, that is such a a fickle and particular thing these days uh, with how you have to handle. Uh, you know that beat, and now you have you have competition from different mediums that don't have to be unbiased, and that is a that is an unbreakable golden rule in in you know general real print journalism. And I don't say real to to bag or you know disrespect anybody else, but. You know, when you're working for a site that is dedicated to a specific team, I mean, you can be a homer. You can go over the top if you want to. And there's there's I me. Mean, that's what you can do. But but journalists at papers, they still have to adhere to that golden rule. And that it's almost a handicap these days to a certain extent. How, how, do you, how would you deal with that? Well, I w- I'm glad I didn't have to do. I mean, you know, the 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 websites, the uh, uh, the Scout dot two forty seven rivals websites, yeah. they weren't a factor when I was doing it, and neither was Twitter and Facebook and all the other <laughs> social media. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, the guys that do it for the Claire and Ledger, uh, Ant- Antonio. Uh, at Ole Miss and the state and state and USM, I mean they do it. In my mind, they do a terrific job because most of their competition now is those websites. Yeah, and um, they have three or two or three people covering what these guys are doing by themselves. And not only that, it's a twenty-four hour. You're on call twenty-four hours a day. Yeah, I mean, and 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 then you've got the not only the uh, the writing part. Uh, the reporting part. Uh, you, now they're doing video stuff. Uh, it's just, uh, it's not a job that I'm, I'm. I'm glad I did it back when I did it. Uh, and, but I, 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 I would like to just publicly applaud them for the for what they do because yeah. they, they, I, th- I think their their people really do a good job. And Hugh Kellenberger, who's the sports editor for the Clarion Ledger now. You just you mentioned it earlier, um, a place that once was twenty seven full time people and a and an army of part timers is like seven now, and I just it's it is. Man. It's incredible having to, you know, fill out the sports page with that amount of people. And then, you know, some of those guys, I mean, I don't know how the the beat guys were all in Jackson 
at for a long time, right? And now some of yeah. I mean, they're stationed in Starkville and, Oxford, and in as Hattiesburg. They should be. I was the Oxford. one that changed that. Oh, okay, I, I yeah. got that done to where we would have somebody on on site, which yeah. is which is the way it, sh- it used to be. When I was a uh, uh, beat guy covering state and Ole Miss, I would spend the first two or three days of the week in Oxford or Starkville, and then come back to Jackson and then go to wherever they were playing on Saturday. Yeah. But that's changed, and that's a good thing that they, that they have the people. And, and let me say something about Hugh. I think he does a terrific job. And, and, and he uh, – I don't know if I would have done it under the circumstances he's doing it now because he's got – as I say, I, I, think, I think he's got six people working for him. And he's, he's the columnist and the editor – and uh, uh, and he doesn't have enough people to cover what he's trying to cover. We had more part timers back then than they have full timers now. Yeah. And uh, I, just, I I applaud them. And uh, and I you know I have a son on the staff, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Tyler, who covers Jackson State and golf. Uh, but he but to give you an idea, I mean he also puts out the paper two or three times a week i mean they it's it's a i mean they have to multitask a lot more than we did back in our day yeah let's fast forward a little bit uh the mississippi sports hall of fame you 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 told us the story about you know the genesis of the idea of having a a a physical museum uh to honor the hall of famers here in mississippi um you were the director of that that hall of fame for a long time and now you've passed that on to bill blackwell um what are your, what's your thoughts about the museum moving forward? It's been able to, and not in every state it has worked like this, but in Mississippi it has survived and is seemingly now it's 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 thriving. Well, yeah, but it's an all day struggle. I mm-hmm. did it for four years, Jay. Uh, it's a uh, 60, 65, 70 hour week job. I mean, you're, you got a twenty four thousand square foot facility that's open six days a week, fifty two weeks a year. You do it with a threadbare staff uh, um, and uh, but we Bill is he's doing a remarkable job he's got a great staff um, museums similar museums across the country have either reduced their hours mm-hmm. or closed some of them have just closed the doors yeah but this one's this one's doing really well, and 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 this and that's appropriate for this state because again, as I said earlier in the program, the uh, you know how many states boast the uh, athletic heritage that Mississippi does? The you know the Boo Ferris, the Archie Mannings, the Ralph Boston's, the Walter Paytons, the Jerry Rice, the Brett Favre's. I mean Ray guy. I mean you just you go on and on and on of. Uh, musicians, writers, and athletes. That's for whatever reason, and I don't know exactly what it is. Yeah. Mississippi's as good as any place. It really that. is. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. In your time, have you do you ever go back and try to I don't know keep a, li- a rolling list or a tally of the the biggest stories that that you've covered uh, and been a part of in, in that in that sense or the biggest or funnest personalities that you've talked to? Well, I, I certainly have in my mind a list. I'll tell you the the, uh, the two biggest stories that I've covered 
an aggregate over my period of time of doing this in Mississippi would be the um, the integration of athletics in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean that you know you got to remember my career started when you were the schools were all white and all black. Yeah. This interview with Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame member Rick Cleveland had to be cut short due to breaking news with the president. If you'd like to hear a previous interview with Rick Cleveland, you can go to mpbonline.org slash season pass and listen for our October 20th, 2016 interview, which originally aired on MPB Season Pass on Think Radio. Listening to MPB's Season Pass. I'm Liz Gill here with Jay White, and I'd like to welcome to the show Rebecca Page. She's captain and coach for the University of Southern Mississippi's Quidditch team. Thanks for being on the show, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. After I confirmed this interview with you, I went around to my coworkers because I'm a bragger, and I said, and I said, Oh, I'm gonna interview the captain of the Quidditch team at Southern Miss. And I got two responses. One was, oh, wow, that's so excited. How wonderful. And then the second was, what's that? What's what's Quidditch? Yeah, sounds about right. So before we tell everybody what is Quidditch, go ahead and, and back us up. Tell us about, I, I'm guessing you're, you know, a 21 to 23-year-old. What was your introduction to the Harry Potter series? And tell us how you got involved in your sport. Right. So my dad is a huge nerd. He's in Star Wars, Star Trek, Harry Potter, and I'm a daddy's girl, so I grew up on Harry Potter and when I went to college, I always told myself the only sport that I see myself playing is probably Quidditch. When I chose to go to Southern Miss, and I went up there, and we had one of those involvement fairs. The first thing I saw was the Quidditch setup. And I said, this is it. This is the one. So that was it, and I dedicated all four years of college to it. Uh, I was the president for one year and captain and coach for the last two. Uh, we actually won more games under my captain and coach year than we have in the past four years, so I was pretty proud of that. Oh, Rebecca, I just, I sorry, I just have the biggest grin on my face. I'm, I'm so excited <laughs> to be speaking to you. I am wearing a Hufflepuff scarf, even as we sit and talk. Okay. <laughs> so for those poor few people who don't know what Quidditch is and what it has to do with Harry Potter, explain a bit about what Quidditch is. So in the books and the movies of Harry Potter, Quidditch is Harry's favorite sport ever, and it is a, a magical game where they fly on brooms and they shoot quaffles and hit people with bludgers and stuff. But uh, it was taken from the book, and the the book is so incredibly inclusive and exciting and thrilling and just like completely out of this world. So all the fans just took it and adapted it into what they call a muggle sport. So it's um, for those who can't fly on brooms and things like that. So they adapted it for, for us, which is super great. And it's a full contact sport. So we tackle each other. And it's also co-ed. So you see like really small five-foot girls out there getting tackled by guys. But it's, it's seriously like the best underrated sport 
out there right now. So, okay, let me see. Does Southern have magical broomsticks where you get to fly around? <laughs> so we use PVC pipes, and uh, they, they're capped on both ends, and they have to be a certain length, so they're not too long. And honestly, once you get used to it, like, you know, carrying it between your legs the whole time, it, it becomes really easy, and you don't even notice that it's there. Like, even whenever you're tackling someone, it feels like it just disappears, and you're just tackling someone. <laughs> it's like you're you're finally on the ground, and it doesn't do anything to you. It's our, it's supposed to be our handicap. You know, in basketball, you have to dribble the ball in order to move, but it's, it's really not that bad. So this isn't just uh, people running around uh, with a PVC pipe between their legs tackling each other. Uh, explain about the balls and scoring. Right. So we have um, chasers and keepers. We have three chasers on the field at one time and one keeper. Uh, the chasers and keepers are all the quaffle carriers, which is the main ball that you score through the hoops. And we have three hoops on each side of the field. And they run down the field. They pass the ball to each other. It's a lot like basketball, except you don't have to dribble. We we say it's like a mashup of like rugby and basketball, that part is. So you're just passing it around and you score. Uh, the keeper is really just a glorified chaser. What they do is they're kind of like the goalie. They can put their hands through the hoops to stop a goal or... Um, when they're in their keeper zone, they're not allowed to get tackled or beat or anything, which the keeper zone is near the goals. So it's it's extremely helpful, that is. Or it can be, like, extremely not helpful to the opposing team. And the goals, uh, I always kind of imagine them like a uh, like if you were going to blow a wand from a, a, a jar of bubble solution kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think one of our newbies made a joke the other day that before they graduated, they really want to do that with bubbles. Oh, okay. With the hoops. Yeah, so it kind of looks like that, except, I mean, it's plastic, so it's a little more sturdy than, you know, an actual bubble dipper. But So uh, uh, the, the quaffle, the ball that's thrown around, um, is that like a, a playground uh, four-square rubber ball th- sort of thing? Uh, the quaffle is actually a slightly deflated volleyball. Okay. Our bludgers, yeah, our bludgers, we don't actually use that for that, like in the in the books and in the movies they have bats. We just use dodgeballs. Okay. So um, it's it's easy because it relates to what actually like dodgeball is. So we call our dodgeballs bludgers and whenever we have the dodgeball as a beater, you can only touch the beater, beater balls, dodgeballs, bludgers. You can only touch them if you're a beater. If you hit someone with it, then they have to get off their broom or in the movies they fall off their broom. So that's what we call it. So you get off your broom you have to go tag in your goals and then you can be back in the game. Otherwise you're not allowed to play, you're just down a player. Does that make sense? Okay. Right, and so those are just dodgeballs. Tell us about the snitch because this can really be um, hilarious. Right. We have a snitch and it is on what we call a snitch runner. Now these people are usually trained and they have to be videoed in order to get paid for the position. So they are really good with wrestling. They're very fit and usually just able to run and push away people very aggressive very sometimes violent so the snitch we have a snitch tail and it's velcro to the back of the snitch shorts and the shorts are like a gold color the seekers have to there's one seeker for each team and at the top of 18 minutes the seekers have to go and chase wrestle get around the snitch runner in order to grab that snitch tail off the back of their shorts 
and that's extremely aggressive and very terrifying if you're the snitch runner and you have two people coming after you. <laughs> Tell us about Quidditch at USM. How does it fit in with other sports there? Well, like I said, it's a lot like rugby. So sometimes when we are on Pride Field, we practice at the same time rugby does. You can just see how both both sides are very aggressive. We do drills where we have to tackle each other, and it's really hard to tackle your own teammate, you know? So sometimes we try to take it easy, but we have to remember when we're on the field against other teams, those teams aren't going to do the same for us. I have to say that our team is one of the least aggressive teams just because we're all so sweet. <laughs> but whenever we go play other teams, we have to step it up. A lot of people, there's like a, a really weird stigma around the Quidditch team, or at least at USM, because people are like, no, that's a nerd sport and stuff. But once they really see it, they, they realize like this isn't what it's like nerdy stuff is not what it actually entails, but um, it's hard to get people to believe that until they see it. Oh, I would think you'd be fighting off everyone wants to be on the on the Quidditch team. Are the, the players, are they typical athletes? Are these people who participate in, in other sports, or what are some of your typical Quidditch athletes at USM? So it differs between schools. When we go off to tournaments at other colleges and like community teams, we see extremely athletic people, people that are taking breaks from like college football or college baseball or anything like that. But at ours, we have a lot of people that have never played sports before. So being the coach and captain, you have to get these people into it, get them working out, get them exercising, get them like hitting each other. They've never tackled people before in their life, and here they are coming into college, turning over a whole new leaf. And so that's that's been like probably the hardest part of being the coach or captain for the USM Quidditch team is getting people to pick up something that they've never even thought they'd do before. I mean, it was something I had to deal with coming into it. So we're we're not very athletic, but we get out there and win some games sometimes. Well, it's all about uh, moving and, and, and getting some exercise. Right. It's an actual sport. That's what a lot of people have a hard time seeing. It's an athletic sport. Well, last weekend, your team didn't travel. You went to Tuscaloosa, Alabama for the Quidditch Southern Regional Championship. Describe the weekend for us. It was probably the worst weekend of Quidditch history. <laughs> it was cold and it rained all day. We had to constantly play a game, referee, play a game, referee. I was actually the snitch runner for the first time ever in four years because we had to um, volunteer someone to do it and I could not see anyone else on my team doing it. <laughs> I was like, I gotta take one for the team, you know. So it was it was very cold and very wet and we were shivering and playing. However it was my very last tournament ever and it was I've gotta say it was great. <laughs> Oddly enough, coming home and looking back, I had a great time with my team and I'm so glad that I got to do that with them. And you all didn't play a bunch of nobodies. I mean, you played against the University of Miami. You played Florida State, University of Florida, University of Tennessee. Right. We, I mean, we play so many teams like that every day. We played against Harvard last year. We play, we usually every single year we play Tulane and Loyola. 
and LSU. We play LSU <clears throat> quite often, and we love that team. I mean, you get after you see these teams so often, so many years in a row, you get to know them very well, and they're all they're all so great. The Quidditch community is just wonderful. I mean, obviously, while we're on the pitch, we get a little heated, but whenever we're off, you know, it's, it's all about the person and who we all are, and it's so inclusive and so great. So tell us about Title Nine and Three Quarters. I I, I applaud this goal of Quidditch. Right. So it's uh, it's like I said, it's so inclusive. Title Nine and Three Quarters is all about you know accepting everyone as they are. Um, we do have a gender rule on pitch. You can't have more than four of one gender on the field. However, if someone is transgender or non-binary, we do recognize that. So whatever they identify as, we go by that. Does that make sense? And I love that that is a mashup of Title IX, which is the law that gave equality to genders and uh, funding for college sports, but also nine and three quarters is the Harry Potter train platform that the people have to use to get to the school in the books and in the movies. Right. It's a lot of fun how U.S. Quidditch has really incorporated you know, a lot of the things that J.K. Rowling has put into the books. I mean, she spent so much time in getting the sport together. and what, what a creative mind she has, really. Just how wonderful the sport turned out to be in actual real life. I mean, you can tell by someone and how great they are as a writer when something that they create, just out of, they just pull it out of nowhere and, and it becomes something that people in the real world can relate to and adapt to, you know, how, how we do in every day, make it something great. We're speaking with Rebecca Page. She's a captain and coach for the University of Southern Mississippi's Quidditch team. The tournament that you just went to, they were a bunch of college teams, but there were some community teams. What do you know about that? If you would like to play on a Quidditch team, but you're not going to college, there are community teams around. So there's one in Louisiana, I believe. There's a few in Florida. There's Storm and one of the Carolinas. I mean, just great people coming from all over their state and coming together and playing this, this sport in a community team because they're not affiliated with a college team. I mean, it's really just a mashup of a bunch of different people. They're really like the heart and soul of all the community teams of, of Quidditch. They really keep it alive and keep people pushing and saying, hey, there's something there's something out there for those who are in college, you know. I know that you can start like high school teams. It just takes a lot of people to step up and say, hey, I like to do this because you have to have at least seven people on your team and for most places you have to have an advisor to say hey I'll help put this together and I'll support it. Sometimes that's really hard to do especially with the stigma around Harry Potter and it being very nerdy <laughs> and not a lot of people want to admit that they like it. Well as, as our host Jay White likes to say I may or may not have encouraged my daughter to attend Middlebury College about 10 years ago because that's the school that invented where what is now U.S. Quidditch started, and she she played Quidditch on Patel Beach uh, a few times and, and, and got knocked down and, and stuff, but, but had a, just a great time. So, Rebecca, thank you so, for, so much for being on our show. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. We're about to take our last break of the show. When we come back, we'll talk about what's going on in sports this weekend. You're listening to MPB's Season Pass on MPB Think Radio.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. It's MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. Thank you so much for listening on this Thursday morning. Liz, have you been uh, watching? I know you were super excited about uh, the Winter Olympics. And uh, I guess what we're nearly a week deep into the uh, games now. Have have you found anything that you have uh, fallen in love with with this year's games more than uh, others in particular? Uh, I've gotten more into the snowboarding. I didn't realize that uh, half pipe would be my jam or ski sloping um, I, I love it because I can't figure it out at all you get to decide if you're going to go on the bar if you're going to go up this ramp the left <laughs> ramp and you do sometimes you just jump in the air but then other times you do twists I love it because it's like watching sports on another planet <laughs> from people who can do death defying adrenaline chasing uh, activities that I couldn't dream of, and it's it's kind of funny to me that uh, the uh, the two Americans that won gold medals, Chloe and the other guy, um, <laughs> they uh, you know they're seventeen year olds, yeah, and they just roll out of bed. One guy, the the guy who won the gold medal, he. He got up late. He grabbed a breakfast sandwich, and he had to borrow somebody's coat because he couldn't find his coat and had messed up on his previous two runs and then just shot the shot the wad and won the gold medal. Yeah, that's uh, very interesting how um, 17-year-old, you know? I mean, best in the world, but at the same time, uh, is still... Acted like a 17-year-old. But anyway, uh, I know I couldn't have uh, uh, maintained that kind of excellence when I was 17. I know the half the snowboarding half pipe has been uh, – uh, that's been a big deal. Sean White yeah, had – Yeah, that's uh, incredible. You know, yeah. he started out as the, the phenom, the flying tomato, when he was <laughs> 17. Uh, he's gotten quite a lot older. Uh, his hair has gotten darker. It's not the vibrant orange that yeah. red that it had been. But uh, he was so excited to – still be in the top of his uh, his sport. Yeah, he had a, a pretty incredible run from what I understand, about as close to perfect as you can get. And um, yeah, it, it was it was incredible watching that. I mean, it, it does not look real uh, when when uh, those guys get going and then you know what all they can do in the air. It's 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 pretty remarkable. And uh, I appreciate sports where you can appreciate the fashion. Those ice dancers, <laughs> that Canadian team last night, the Paris team, she had on the most lovely uh, uh, skating uh, costume I'd ever seen. Well, uh, so any, anything else besides uh, those 
the curling didn't work out like we wanted, right? Well, the the uh, Americans... Chloe Kim has been a big uh, that that's been a big uh, I don't want to say home run, but she's been a big hit. She has, and you know it's it's also interesting, I guess, with the, the way they broadcast the Olympics, they give you the personal stories, and now if you've got Comcast, you can look at the personal story of all two hundred and seventy-eight or however many Olympians that there are. They've got a little video that you can watch so that you can become more invested in their struggles. Some of these uh, brother and sister teams, uh, I would have, you know, I don't know that my brother and I would have survived it. Someone would might not have come out of it whole. And uh, the, the curling team and the ice dancing team, they seem to really enjoy each other. Yeah. So it's, it's I love the Olympics because I get um, it's all at once. You know, for for football, you know, maybe you learn a lot of the the personalities as they go. You watch Sports Center or whatever to get the little interviews, and it's a longer, drawn out process. Uh, the Olympics, you've got. 10, 14, 17 days, and it's just jam-packed where you meet a whole new, brand new set of friends that you learn (laughs) their struggles, you learn their breakfast eating habits. One thing that I loved, they talked about how a family in the Cochran family in Vermont didn't want skiing to be just for the elite. So they happened to have a mountain in their backyard and the dad, the granddad in the 60s chopped down the trees every night for a couple of months and made a ski run. And then they also set up a tow rope. You know, he just rigged a rope that went from the top to the bottom that continuously pulled and you just grab hold of the rope and it tows you to the top of the mountain and they set up the the gates which look like uh, bicycle flags you know like the little bicycle flag you used to have on the back to to let everybody know you were coming and then the kids could practice slaloming down that well it turned out six of his kids went on to be Olympians his grandkids are now and they've set it up so that uh, their lift tickets are five dollars on a Friday night for the neighborhood kids to come learn skiing. That's awesome. I love hearing those stories. That is. And he was uh, building, he was cultivating a culture. He didn't even know it. How about that? An Olympic a championship, a world championship culture. And he uh, didn't even know it. Tomorrow is the first day of college baseball season. Uh, if you know me any at all, you know that I'm a baseball guy above everything else. A rarity in these parts, in the land of footballia. Uh, but uh, I'm very excited. College baseball starts tomorrow. We have a very interesting uh, season starter. It's the it will be the the best matchup in the country and the most highly anticipated opening weekend matchup in all of college baseball. Mississippi State uh, is visiting Southern Miss uh, and they it kind of ended uh, well, Southern Miss's season ended last year with Mississippi State winning the Hattiesburg Regional, so that was kind of a bitter pill to swallow. And because Mississippi State is having their stadium uh, rebuilt, essentially, um, they are having to spend a lot of their non-conference schedule on the road, and part of that will be starting their season at Southern Miss, the scene of the crime last year, uh, so to speak. That will be a humongous series. The tickets are all sold out. 
I think you can only get them online or if you know somebody and the games are not going to be on broadcast or cable television or satellite television. I think you have to be some sort of subscriber to Conference USA's website. Somebody's going to have Facebook Live going, you know it. They need to, absolutely. But that's going to be a big deal coming up this weekend. Uh, And also uh, the 10th Annual South Group Make a Difference 5K Run and Walk is going to be going on at the Woodlands Office Park in Ridgeland. Uh, That'll uh, fire off Saturday morning at 8.30 a.m. And that's just some of uh, the great stuff going on. The Gulf Coast Winter Classics Horse Show is happening at the Harrison County Fairgrounds in Gulfport. Uh, And that's uh, going on through March 18th. Thanks so much for listening. Southern Remedy Kids and Teens with Dr. Jimmy Stewart is next on Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.